0: You're listening to The Worship Review, a podcast which evaluates contemporary Christian music for the good of the church, to the glory of God. This podcast is for the whole church, to encourage thoughtful engagement with the words, emotions, and
1: ideas in our music. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hello, everybody, welcome to another episode of The Worship Review. This podcast critically but charitably examines the songs that we sing in church. Well, they're texts mostly. Sometimes we talk about the music. We do this because we are terrible people, but also former worship leaders and uh, then analytical people as well. So I'm a history professor by trade. So therefore, I do this stuff with texts all the time. Tyler, you are a linguist, is that right?
0: Yes, I am a linguist.
1: That actually is a real thing, folks. People get paid to do that. Yes. So, but you know that uh, Tyler therefore picks apart, le- you know, words and phrases and languages full-time, so this is right in your wheelhouse, too.
0: Yes, I have a house full of wheels, and this is one of them.
1: Uh, exhibit A, as I say sometimes on this podcast, when Tyler speaks. So we're going to be looking at a song called What Child Is This? And it is the version by Chris Tomlin and All Sons and Daughters.
0: This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds God.
1: Tyler, I'm sure that you can tell us some more about this song. It was not written by Chris Tomlin and All Sons and Daughters, was it?
0: No, uh, just one son and apparently no daughters, William Chatterton Dix. He's actually from Bristol, born in Bristol. Uh, He's a 19th century, what are you going to guess? Clergyman? Are you going to guess philosopher, classicist, professor? No, he was a businessman. So he managed an insurance company and apparently loved writing Christian music so much that he just continued publishing it throughout his life and career, despite it not being his day job. Um, and according to a book called stories of the great Christmas carols by June C Montgomery and uh, Kanan D Renfro, he dicks that is when he was 25 became seriously ill. And this Experience, quote, of coming so close to death had a profound effect on him spiritually by recuperating from his illness. Dix studied the Bible extensively and wrote a Christmas poem titled The Manger Throne the lyrics to What Child is This come from this poem, The Manger Throne. Ah, okay. Which, I, this is very interesting. So he he has, it's almost like Martin Luther. He has this near-death experience and decides to uh, really devote himself uh, to God. And uh, he's, he starts writing these things. I think we've seen that in a number of different songs. They have these stories where someone comes close to death and decides they're going to write music. And it becomes this beautiful Christian praise of God, or, or even some people experience tragedy of death and, and write beautiful Christian music. Um, so I took a look at this poem, Manger Throne and Colin, while I would say the content is similar to What Child Is This? I, I don't think I could say in, um, I don't think I could say that the verses are taken clearly directly from it. Interesting. They've, they've, they would have to have been changed in some sense before. So just to give you an example, like silver lamps in a distant shrine, the stars are sparkling clear and bright. The bells of the city of God ring out for the son of Mary was born tonight. The gloom is past and the morn at last is coming with orient light. So it and then it goes on. It's talking about um, the birth of Christ. Uh, the son of Mary Um, and it talks about the stable. It talks about him being um, him being um, God himself and talks about angels singing, but it, it, it is not, you know, he wrote a poem and the poem was, what is this child? And he turned that poem into what child is this? A poem, a song about this. It's, it's a different text altogether on the same theme. So but yeah, it, it talks about it, it's basically marveling through rhetorical questions at uh this uh child, this infant, uh the song calls him a babe, uh a baby who is both uh meek and um in in the lap of his mother and also the king of kings himself. So there's this incredible dual nature of Christ, that he is both man and born in rather humble conditions for a man and also the king of the universe.
1: Hmm. Well, let's get right into the words then.
0: What child is this who lays?
1: What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping? Tyler, this sounds again like Luke 2.
0: Yes, it does. And you say again because last week's episode was also on Luke 2. Funnily enough, it seems like so much around this time of year focuses (laughs) on the second chapter of Luke. Uh, Charlie Brown, anybody? And there were in the same country shepherds. Abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. This opening line is one question. (laughs) It is one, there's one question mark, and uh, we have, I guess I could do a sentence diagram, but it might not be that interesting. It's essentially- It is a
1: bit of a run-on sentence.
0: Yeah. What is this child? And then there are a bunch of different modifiers of that. So this child who is sleeping on Mary's lap, who is laid to rest, um, this child whom- Angels greet with sweet anthems. Now, we talked last week about some singing questions with angels. Okay, um, this is a child uh, to whom or uh, near whom all of this is happening while shepherds are keeping watch <clears throat> over their flocks. So, yeah, this is Luke 2, and uh, we haven't been given a name of the child yet, but uh, it's... Probably about as clear from context as anything could be that this is about Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. uh, he's sleeping yeah. on Mary's lap. Uh, he's the only child uh, of whom I'm aware that angels greet um, at his birth. So,
1: uh, Tyler, we talked about this briefly in the last episode, but there is there are anthems, so we have singing yeah. happening here. Yeah, so... But you think maybe this is not justified?
0: I Well, yeah, I think on the basis of Luke 2, it's not justified
1: because we have angels saying and not singing
0: the the verb in all translations of which i'm familiar uh is saying suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising god and saying glory to god in the highest and on earth peace goodwill toward men it says they are praising god and saying so praising god is probably loud uh but they're they're saying glory to god in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased or peace on earth goodwill towards men there's
1: no like theological weight on the idea of whether the angels sing or not right it's it's merely a, a question of accuracy
0: i think it just it transgresses a and i don't do it because it transgresses it And you can tell i'm trying to be careful about this because i don't think scripture prohibits the idea that angels sing either but we have this idea in you know future historians listen up right now where we are in time and space the image is that there was this like a bunch of angels in choir robes coming and they had their hands crossed in front of them like a choir um they were gripping their hands and they're up under their chins and their heads are bobbing to the left and to the right while they are singing uh that to the shepherds to get to Bethlehem. And what happens in Luke 2 is we have an angel just means a messenger, a vessel. Um, and we have this messenger from God. And he says, well, I'll just read it. He says, this angel appears to the shepherds and the glory of the Lord shines around him. And the shepherds are terrified as anyone would be, because if you were out by yourself or with your flocks at night and a messenger appeared from God and glory was shining around him, you'd probably be frightened. And the angel says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. So they get this message from the messenger. And then suddenly there was with the angel a multitude, so many, many, I wouldn't say people, many, many angels, of the heavenly host, the heavenly army... This is so. This is not a choir of you know happy cherubs, yeah, um, dancing around.
1: Yeah, it's not a children's choir.
0: This is an army who show up after this message is given, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom He's pleased. So, we have what is legitimately probably a terrifying experience for the shepherds, and then the angels continually reassuring them, but also doing things that would, um, that that are just not they don't fit our paradigms for what we have now and they're probably closer to the paradigms of the people uh to whom they appeared two thousand years ago an army announcing news so this uh, yeah that that's all i'm saying and so just on the basis of luke two are are they um singing are they anthems are i don't think you can say that from luke two Ah, uh, the closest thing you get is I think, like I mentioned before, in Job thirty-eight, God rebukes Job, and uh, he says, "Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth?" And then he says, "When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy." That is the closest you will get to a proof text in my, for my, uh, that I am aware of, where angels sing and. Yeah, we have two different verbs in Hebrew in verse 7 of Job 38, the first being sing and the other one being shout. They're different in uh, English and in Hebrew. So it is not the case that we can say authoritatively, here are angels singing. But I think contextually it is because – it's. I think it's kind of fitting that Hebrew doesn't easily distinguish between shouting, praise, and singing because – it's also hard to draw that line, a fine line between those two, practically. Yeah. When do you transition? If I, if I don't know, how much of the Hallelujah chorus from Handel's Messiah is shouting praise, and how much of it is singing praise? Um, yeah. The purist might say, "Oh, that's all singing," but they're going. Alleluia, 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 Alleluia,
1: Alleluia. Or go listen to a sermon at many black Baptist churches. Is the preacher, as he preaches, is he shouting, is he speaking, or is he singing? He'll probably do a little bit of all of those.
0: Praise him out of your mouth. If he spoke to you in any kind of way,
1: if you're feeling him loving on you right now, if you're feeling lifting up your little greasy bag and saying, "You're, you're enough, you and me, you're enough, together we can do this, then give him the praise and the honor and the glory yeah oh magnify the lord with me and let us exalt his name together
0: i think i think that it is very hard to tell the difference and so a lot of times it is about intent um if you listen to indie rock today a lot of the guys get up there with their guitars and they shout at you it sounds like you're trapped in a uh sometimes it sounds like you are trapped in a subway car in New York City, and the guy's just got his guitar and a can, and he's going to start shouting at you until uh, you put some money, you some money in his cup. That's yeah. what you know. certain bands sound like to me, um, but some people would call it singing. So that's my point about the singing and the anthems. We have a cultural norm that has been adopted, wherein we think of angels as um, singing, but it's just not clear. But th- listen to this in Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. They are calling to Mm. one another. So we have... I think we, we always make the leap of judgment to singing. And it just, yeah, on the basis of there. the text, it's not always warranted.
1: Sure. Well, it has not yet been warranted of any of the texts you've sung. But let's get to the text that we are analyzing.
0: This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds, guard, and angels sing. Haste, haste,
1: This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him laud, babe, the son of Mary. Tyler.
0: Yes. Oh, man, I love this. I love this so much. Um, this this is the answer to the question. So the question is not just rhetorical for the sake of making a point um, figuratively. There's a very clear answer. What is this child? This child is Christ the King. And... Um, Curiously, he is guarded by shepherds and also proclaimed through song in this in this text by angels. And then after we announce who he is, we answer that rhetorical question from the first verse. We then move to an imperative verb, haste, haste. That means hurry, go, quickly, kind of like we saw with Go Tell It on the Mountain. You have the announcement of this news. And the imperative immediately falls to you to go pass it along. And I think that's why a lot yeah. of people with Go Tell It on the Mountain, you could probably make the point here, um, they connect these songs about Christ's advent with the Great Commission where Jesus says in Matthew 28, go therefore, he says, all authority on heaven, in heaven and on earth has been given to me, go now therefore and make disciples. And yeah. it's like, we have this announcement of, of power, of, of, um, of great, great power. And then the imperative just sort of flows from that announcement: yeah. haste, makes, to laud him, praise him, glorify him.
1: It makes sense because the when the when the birth of Christ was announced, there was still you know thirty plus years of ministry for Christ to do before it was then time to to before the great commission was given. But for us, we don't have to sit and wait those thirty years. So we hear the Christmas story, we know also the Easter story, and so we we just need to go and as soon as we hear it we should also then go proclaim it. There's no reason for us to sit around and wait. Kind of makes sense. I mean it, it just seems intuitive that a Christmas song would include an an evangelical command or imperative along with yeah, it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's logical. I mean it, I think in this case it, it's probably twofold. Part of this is evangelism is going and, you know, telling it on the mountain, telling your friends, telling your family, telling your telling strangers, standing on the street on a soapbox, but um Part of this is probably also, it is good for his people to look at what happened in Luke two and then bring him praise again for what happened in Luke two. Yeah, and so it's like bring, bring him laud, uh, you who are already in, so to speak, and also bring this news to people who are outside of the people of God so that they can join, Um, praising the babe that is the child the son of Mary, uh, not the son of Joseph, the son of Mary. And then we see, um, yeah, it, it occurs to me now as we're, as we're going through this, it, it doesn't say the son of God. Now there's a version of the song that I like, which does say the son of God in a later, um,
1: but this version doesn't,
0: but this version does not. And, and I don't think the original did either. It's just, it's emphasizing by saying the son of Mary, virgin birth
1: all right so now we have the next verse
0: so bring him incense gold and myrrh come praising him to long yield the king
1: of peace salvation let love be born in throne so bring him incense gold and myrrh Come, pleasant king to own him. The king of kings salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. We have some lofty titles here, Tyler. This is not just a, a babe.
0: No, this is, this. these are huge, huge, huge titles. So uh, just the, one of them, the king of kings. This comes uh, from Revelation chapter 19. And I'll just read uh, the English Standard Version. Uh, this is referring to this rider on the white horse. And from his mouth proceeds a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. He has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So this, is, this baby in Mary's lap is the um, – like, the titles are insufficient to describe his authority. That's what, You just have this kind of superlative formation where we have, well, he, what's bigger than a king? Uh, a king of all kings. Or what's bigger than a lord? A lord of all lords. What's bigger than a Caesar or an emperor? Well, he's the emperor of all emperors. He is the boss. And he brings salvation. So we are in dire straits. We need a savior, and he brings salvation with him. Th- there's some interesting ideas in here. We read in the Bible that the the wise men bring frankincense, gold, and myrrh. And in reflecting on this, I think this comes; these all come from Exodus 30. Uh, in Exodus 30, we have a description of this altar of incense. We have this altar of incense, which is in the holy place, and the holy place is separated from the holy of holies by a veil. And God's presence is with His people. In the holy of holies, and on this altar of incense, incense is to be offered, and this altar is supposed to be and was in Exodus thirty overlaid with gold to to make it uh, splendid and beautiful. And in verse six of that chapter, God says, "Put the altar in front of the curtain that shields the ark of the covenant law, before the atonement cover that is over the tablets of covenant law, where I will meet with you." So. Uh, we have this this place where God is going to meet with his people through their mediator, their high priest. And on this altar of incense, Aaron is to burn incense continually. It's not a normal altar. It's not going to be used for burnt offerings, grain offerings, or drink offerings, but it's a special altar. Um, it is most holy to the Lord, where once in a year throughout the generations, the blood of a sin offering of atonement shall uh, make atonement. So we have this gold altar and also in the very same chapter in Exodus, we have a description of oil that is to be used to anoint the priests and also the devices used in this worship. So one of the larger parts of oil is 500 shekels of myrrh, which is holy. It says in uh, this chapter, it is holy and it shall be holy to you. Uh, It shall not be poured on the body of an ordinary person and you shall not make any other like it in in composition. So we have this gold, we have this myrrh. And then we also have in verse 34, God telling Moses in part to take frankincense and to make incense out of various different sweet spices. And uh, he says in verse 36, you shall beat some of this incense very small and put part of it before the testimony in the tent of meeting where I shall meet with you. It shall be most Holy for you, so we have gold on the altar, we have uh, myrrh in the anointing oil, and we have frankincense in this um, incense that is to be burned continually in the holy place. I would say all three of these gifts that the wise men bring these are pointing to uh, God's presence with his people in the Old Testament, uh, and now God coming to earth in the form of this child as the savior. And it also, if we can postulate that there's this continuity of imagery going on, then at the end of Christ's earthly life, before his resurrection, when he's crucified and the veil in the temple is rent, uh, we have this real continuity where the dwelling place of God is with men. This man who is God and man Um, is the god with us is emmanuel he is the lord himself let loving hearts enthrone him just sorry to get back to the text Colin. before uh before you pull out all of your hair oh wait um let loving (laughs) hearts too late (laughs) enthrone him uh hearts which love him let them seat him on the throne of their hearts
1: i don't understand that entirely
0: in okay uh, i think what it is trying to say is let loving hearts so let hearts which love make him lord over their hearts
1: okay i suppose that makes sense and can you also briefly explain the idea of owning him come peasant king to own him
0: this is interesting come peasant king this isn't referring to a king who is also a peasant but these are these actually have commas yeah if these didn't have commas it would be a peasant king but because they do have commas that's why we have these rules it's referring to different people who are to come so you who are high and lofty, and also you who are lowly.
1: So there, there's an and here, come peasant and king. Yeah,
0: exactly. Come peasant and also come king to own him.
1: And what does it mean to own him? Because obviously we can't own God.
0: No, it's not It's not own in like the sense of possess, but it's, it's own in a different sense. So own literally does mean to possess. It, there even, there's a noun uh, formed from it being property, verbs in the older Germanic languages, that are this verb or forms of this verb or variants of this verb, uh, they all involve some kind of possession, a uh, relationship. Um, but it can also mean to acknowledge. So you, um, okay? there's a, there's this, there's this, also this hymn called hast thou seen him, heard him, known him. And there's this line um, chief among 10,000 own him. And it doesn't mean possess him. It means acknowledge him. And the Oxford English Dictionary lists as definition 4C a transitive verb, so it, it has to have an object, that's just what transitive means, to acknowledge as having supremacy, authority, or power over oneself mm. to recognize or profess obedience to a greater power or superior. In later use, only with abstract objects, especially in, for example, the expression to own a person's sway, now it's archaic.
1: It's so funny how this word in in uh, kind of common, current vernacular has come to mean exactly the opposite. So now when you own someone, you dominate them. Like that dude, that person just got owned. But, <laughs> but, in the, but that version is totally the opposite. It means to be subjugated to somebody. Amazing. It's totally
0: flipped. I'm going to bow down and worship this baby and acknowledge that he is the king over... Um, Yes, the king over the universe, but also king over me uh, as a constituent in that universe uh, and uh, as someone who wants to uh, worship him and honor him.
1: Well, the next line seems to seem to compel us to do that. Raise, raise a song on high. The virgin sings her lullaby. Joy, joy for Christ is born, the babe, the son of Mary. Seems like we're supposed to sing, but also Mary is singing as well?
0: Yeah. the Christmas time is so full of paradoxes, isn't it, Colin? We have the virgin singing her lullaby. You can imagine this probably is not a very loud uh, song, but yet we are compelled, we are ordered by this song to raise a song on high. To make a song that is very loud and powerful, uh, to uh, apparently parallel what the Virgin is doing with the Virgin Mary is doing with baby Jesus. Again, though, that's not something we have uh, scriptural evidence for. But some things may be inferred without doing harm to good reason and doctrine
1: doesn't cause us a problem if mary sings to her baby yeah
0: it's like you know people say well you know jesus never cried as a baby it's like well we don't have evidence for that or against it but we can probably deduce that as a human uh he cried uh uh he cried as an adult so or he wept as an adult i should say
1: he wept yeah
0: so uh yeah we're, we're supposed to sing to to god um, we're, and we're also supposed to, well, actually, these joys are, they're not verbs. they are I don't think they're verbs. I think they're just interjections, like joy, no. woo, wow. Yeah, I don't think
1: it's saying rejoice. I think it's just saying joy exists.
0: Because Christ is born the Messiah, uh, the anointed one, the babe, the son of Mary. Weird, all of these verses end with the same line, Colin.
1: Almost like it's on purpose.
0: Nail, spear shall pierce him through. The cross he bore for me, for you. Hail, hail,
1: the word made flesh, the
0: babe, the
1: son of Mary. Nails, spears shall pierce him through. The cross he bore for me, for you. Hail, hail, the word made flesh, the babe, the son of Mary. Takes it home here, Tyler.
0: Yeah, so we have... Unlike many, many Advent songs, this song goes from the birth of Christ and then points us to the culminating event in Christ's earthly ministry, the whole purpose.
1: It's jarring. It, it just comes right upon you.
0: It's brutal, right? Because we have this virgin, she's holding this child and it's precious- Singing. Beautiful singing a lullaby to him. And then we have a very brutal, uh, brutal verse- but an accurate verse, that this is, these are things that, that did happen.
1: Yeah. I mean, I love it. I This is one of those, you know, sometimes a song is incoherent, and that's why it's got different themes just crushed together. This, I think, really is nice. I really like this. I think it's powerful.
0: I don't think this verse was original.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: In Dix's version of it, I don't see this verse. And in Manger Throne, that poem I mentioned earlier, he's... Yeah, it's it's all focused on, for the most part, the birth, although there is this line, a child is born who shall conquer the foe, and all the spirits of wickedness quell. Um, now that's going back to Genesis 3. So
1: it's probably added later. Well, I think it's nice. I'm glad that it was added.
0: Uh, it's a very good verse. Um, it Nails referring, of course, to the cross spear. Uh, we have evidence of a spear piercing him through, although I think in this case, this yeah, not spheres, indefinite but- plural is is okay. Um, yeah, But yeah, really a spear pierced him and blood and water came out um, and they shall pierce him referring to this baby through and I, I don't like the change that uh, Chris Tomlin made. I, I guess I can understand that you might want to make it less archaic, but the he says the cross he bore for me for you. Um,
1: mm-hmm. What's the original? The,
0: the cross be born for me for you. And in that case, that links it back to that shall in in the sense that it is then the cross shall be born for me, for you. But this is a change that is probably okay. He bore the cross for me, for you. But it just takes uh, one coherent phrase that spread across two lines and made it um, two different phrases. It's probably fine. Hail, that is worship or um, really salute or greet the word made flesh, referring to John 1, the word that was, who was with God and is God, um, made flesh and dwelling among us.
1: I love that being squeezed in here. I, I think that's nice.
0: Yes, it's a good addition. The Babe, the Son of Mary. Colin, remember when I said early, oh, this song just says the Babe, the Son of Mary, and doesn't mention um, him being the Son of God or him, you know, the Immaculate Conception or or being God himself. I think this this additional verse does make that clear. Jesus Christ is called the word made flesh. So, boom. There you have it.
1: All right then, Tyler, give it a rating.
0: I'm going to give it 5 out of 5 green sleeves. All
1: right, I gave it 5 out of 5 sappies. And a sappy is when you are happy but sad. And this is a song where the message is really really happy and yet the song is very very sad. But I think it's a I think it's a it's it's not a sad song. It's it's a great moment you know, but the song just has this dirgy feel.
0: Yeah. It's got that, that funny kind of Renaissance minor feel where it's like, Oh yeah, yeah this is a song in a minor key, but you know, if someone were plucking along on a lute or something, it wouldn't feel sad. It's like, Oh yeah, I'm just in a, you know, I'm in an inn in the Renaissance. <laughs> That's what I'm hearing.
1: Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the worship review. Like us on Twitter, rate us positively in the Apple podcast place. And, Give us positive ratings in other places where you are allowed to rate us, and send complaints to feedback at The Worship Review, or send compliments to feedback at The Worship Review. And also, uh, tell your friends about this podcast. Tweet at us as well. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to The Worship Review. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment, or email us at feedback at theworshipreview.com. We accept donations at anchor.fm slash the worship review and patreon.com slash the worship review. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.